Thank you, or please you can have your seats. Um, it's, it feels good to be back here. I was just saying it's four years, one month precisely, when I kind of decided that it was time for a new venture. It was time for a new adventure. I thought I was deciding, but in retrospect, I know that there are much more factors that govern stuff like that. But over the last four years, you know, um, one of the people I want to take time to appreciate today, apart from the church itself, especially appreciate Pastor Femi Paul. He's been a father in every sense of the word. I want to just share in very few, um, in the short time that we have, about my own experience of working with Jesus. Now, I am, I'm understanding that I, I should talk about God's testimony of guiding me and keeping me. But I, I will stretch it a bit further from that. I will kind of move away a bit from that and talk about, um, talk about my experience, what my discoveries are over the last four years, and even before the last four years, and how it's shaping up into a whole story. Um, so today we'll just move into the scriptures. Today we'll be talking about finding Jesus in the journey. I don't know what part of life you are. I don't know what stage of life. One of the reasons why when you were saved, if you were saved, that you weren't taken to heaven on time immediately is because God is going to set you on a journey. And that journey will involve several discoveries, almost all of which you don't know anything about right now. So to, to go back to it, what did the Bible say? What, what, what it says, all I've seen, one of the things why we come to God, it's not because we want to make the next big break. It's not because we want to marry a good wife. It's not because you want to find a good husband. It's because we come to a place where we realize that God is overall, God is bigger, God is better, God is more knowledgeable than I could ever be. And we fall on our knees and say, I don't know how to do this. I've got to be humble before God. I don't know, even if you were born into a very powerful family, you come to realize that this power is as much as this. But the Lord, the God that we have to deal with is exceedingly big. Bigger than our imagination. Bigger than we could ever spend our lifetime figuring out. It's bigger than the government of the world. In fact, the interesting thing about Psalm 2, he said the kings of the world gather together. It's like when the UN is meeting, when they say the G8 is meeting. Sometimes I look at it, I say, the Bible says clearly, it says the kings of this world gather together and say, we want to do away with the son of God. We want to do away, we want to cast away the restriction that God has put on us. That's the way it's termed. But the Bible says the Lord will have them in derision. And he will laugh at them. Just say, you would not, you would, he would, he would cast them aside until they bow to the son. If you read it, it's interesting notes there. But so that, that, that's, that's, that's the way we, that's the foundation I want to lay on, that, on it. Saying that when we approach the word of God, we are not approaching literature. Though it is literature. We are approaching a force that is able to break everything else that is half-truth, that is a lie, that is every other thing, even traditions that are not built on the Word of God. Once the Word of God comes, it's able to smash it into pieces. Our, our proclivities, our, our prejudices, our sentiments will all be dismantled when it comes in contact with the Word of God. That's how powerful the Word of God is. So the lies we've told ourselves, the assumptions we've made, is all going to be challenged. And it's a, it's a challenge we should welcome in our work with God. Because God is going to move through it all. So today we're talking about finding Jesus on the journey. And our scripture is going to be taken from 
the preferred version reading today is the NASB because that's what I have. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. And this is my story. Let's go. I'll read to you here. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had a sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Who delivered us from great a peril of death and will deliver us? On whom we have set our hope, so that on which we have set our hope, and it will yet deliver us. I'll stop there for now. You know, Paul came to a point in his life, Paul was very educated, probably more educated than any of us here very well schooled, very well traveled. And then he went to the region of Asia and this time around, the troubles that assailed him were beyond what he ever knew. He got to a place where he despaired of life itself. And when we talk about the Christian journey, you're going to face challenges that will question the very foundation of your, of your belief, of your sense of worth. Paul came to that. He was now Paul was not doing his own business. He was preaching the gospel. Yet trouble found him. And it's not mere trouble. It's huge trouble. Waves and waves of trouble. The Bible says in Psalm 107, it said, They that travel on high seas, they see the goodness of God. Because the waves climb up, throws their ship here and there. Then they cry out. And the Lord heard them and calmed the, 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 the waves and brings them to their safe haven. He said, hold that men will praise the Lord. Troubles are real. Whether you go finding it or you stay where you are, troubles will come to you. Trials will come. And here was somebody that was right in the middle of God's will, preaching the word of God, taking it from the known world to the unknown world at the time. And yet he had trouble like no one else to the point where he, he, he despaired of life. You know, David was a man that was anointed by God. But even David, after Saul assailed him for so long, he came to a point in himself, he said, I know that one day, Saul will surely kill me. How is it that you have a promise from God, but the troubles that come to your life just make you conclude that, no, 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 no. Let's forget all those shenanigans that we're doing. Maybe the pastor was just high on himself when he made a prophecy. Maybe when I read the word of God, I was just deluding myself. That you come to a point and you say, maybe there's really nothing much to me. But stay with me. That's part of the process. And that's where Paul was when he said, what are we going to do about this? Life was tough. And in my journey, I found that to be true. I have no business being here today, really. If it's by logical, it shouldn't be. If it's by... Um, majority vote it shouldn't be I look at how I grew up and I, and I say to myself that there was only one thing one of the things that drew me to God was because I found nobody else to understand me I felt I was completely misunderstood so when Ini was talking I, I understand when parents take it out on you when everybody kind of throws you under the bus 
then you have nothing else to do but to look to God. Interesting story. A colleague of mine, while I was working here in Standard Chartered, I remember he said he had two daughters at the time. The first daughter was very well behaved. The second one was trouble. So anytime there was something wrong, she was picked on to say, are you not the one that did this? So I think he came home and found that the TV was broken. That's a big deal, kind of, right? So they just said, who broke this TV? Everybody said, not me, not me. They just looked at the girl and said, you are the one. Confess, say the truth. And the girl started crying and said, while she was crying, she said, say the truth. I'm going, to, I'm going to whip you. And the girl just, without them knowing, the girl just, Jesus, you know it's only you that can deliver me right now. <laughs> he said when he heard that word, he just dropped the skin and just said, ah, at this point, I don't want Jesus. I don't want Jesus' wrong. If this girl can say, Jesus, you know it's only you that can deliver me. And that was how my journey started. And sometimes we must understand that when troubles like that come, maybe you are here, nobody understands you at work, or even maybe that you are a child that is not understood by anybody, your friends decide to you. That's not an end. That, that trouble itself may be shaping you up to turn to God. Are you here that you're, you don't have a father? That's a significant one because God is the very present help. You see, God is the father of the fatherless. So don't compare yourself with people that have fathers and say, maybe I'm just a delinquent. Maybe something is wrong with me. God is setting you up for a story. That story, he is the author and the finisher of your faith. And that story is being crafted by God. That God that seems not to be seen is present. Amen. Amen. That God is present. I can tell you that. He's a father you can talk to. He's someone you can reach to when nobody else gets you. Because God gets you. Amen. One other thing about trouble that I wanted to mention is, you know, it's in recent times that we've conditioned our faith to be like, a risk avoidance kind of faith, a trouble avoiding kind of faith, so that the way we, est- we, de- we the way we evaluate people is by how much troubles they don't have. So the ideal Christian to us is the one that just um, did very well in school, very good child, went to Ivy League schools, got a job with a multinational, got married at 23 or 24, and um, had children at 25, was a grandparent by 46 we can tell that that's a good life. In fact, most of us are preparing our children for a hassle-free life where there's no trouble. But the good thing is that we are not God. And trouble will come to those kids, whether you like it or not. In fact, without trouble, life becomes meaningless. You know, there's a whole lot of talk about African methodology parents. Even in the Western world, the trouble is a is of a different kind. There's a meaninglessness to young people because there's nothing to conquer. Everything is easy at the tip of your butt, at, 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 the, at the top of your finger, you can get most things. People use credits. And then the same people go harder. And, and, and this is a true story. When I was working here, there was a younger friend of mine that I had who was pretty young. And I just looked at, I used to talk to him. I said, go, go do something with your life. Go back to school or something. Go get an MBA or something. Eventually he did. This is, a, this is interesting. Got um, one of the best schools there, went to do his MBA. It was a lot of trouble for him to graduate. He graduated eventually, got married, got the best of jobs, bought a big house. And you know, one day he called me and said, do you know over the last two weeks, 
I contemplated blowing my brains off. And I said, how is that, how is that possible? The boy said, and he said to me, he said, he just felt an emptiness to it all. That, okay, so is this it? Now I have a brand new car. I'm just about 30. I have a big house that my dad would have dreamt of having when he was 50. So it seemed like I've had it all. But then there was an emptiness to it all. And that emptiness is, is a plague that is, that, is, that is taking over Western society. Where people resort to drugs, report, resort to all manner of ills, just to find some meaning, find some thrills. But the trouble that God gives us is to give us meaning. I'll read again the next scripture and I'll soon be out of your face. James chapter 1 verse 2. Say, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life from the Lord, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So let's take it in stride. Uh, I have had some troubles in life. But one of the things God has helped me with is, it's in the middle of trouble that you find Jesus. Let me tell you, most of us come with a very, with wild imaginations of what the Lord looks like. And we'll get to that. The trouble is like fire that purifies gold or diamond as it is. And as we go on, we realize the half-truths we've known, the cultures we've known, the, the lies we've believed, and then Jesus becomes clearer to us. That's what the Bible meant when it said, when we gaze into the Word of God, it's like we, we become more like God. Amen. Amen. So let's go on. So that's why even Job's talked about troubles. One of the things I found about, about life, and over the last four years, is that Jesus is not a cultural Jesus. Uh, the idea that there's a Nigerian church is an anomaly. It's a, it's, a mis, it's a misrepresentation. The idea of an American church already tells you that that's outside of God. If you say, oh, I go to a Nigerian church, and believe me, you're not going to church. You're going to a Nigerian social gathering. If you say you're going to an American church, a British church, it's already out of tune because the church is the church. Look, it's not the American child that is favored. It's not the Nigerian child that is disfavored. It's the Christian child that is favored. There's a, there's a debate all around the world about replacement theories, which they think, oh, some people are using it as political tool to, to fight, saying, the reason why these guys want um, new people in this country is because, and in the US precisely, is because they want more people from the third world that can vote in a certain way. And the other people are saying, that's the reason why. And this one's saying, no, that's racist or whatever it is, as they say. But the interesting thing that the replacement theory is also true. The more I look at kids here, and I look at 12-year-old talking today, I tell myself without a doubt that the replacement theory is true. That's what God did when he sacked the people in Canaan and brought the children of Israel. God is always removing people that don't that leave worshipping him and replacing them with those who trust him. If you read Psalm 107, that's what the Bible says. It said, princes, they fall flat because of their, because they abandoned God. 
He said, and they went through hard and tough times. Then they cried unto the Lord. And then the Lord heard them. Even several times, God will say to the children, He said, because you're Miss Baby, I'm going to send the Midianites after you. I'm going to send these people after you to, to, to plummet you till you return to God. Eventually, they were sacked out of that place they called it, 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 the promised land because they stopped calling on God. So the truth is that the replacement theory is true, but it's just that it's in favor of the people that call upon the name of the Lord in truth and in spirit. Amen. Amen. So when you see kids that, when, we, when I saw these kids, I said to myself, I've seen kids in the U.S. without a doubt, when these ones come in contact with each other, there will be no negotiation. There will be no, there will be no description. It will be clear as day. Those who have been built very well. Amen. Um, so, in trouble, what I found is, what I found in trouble is, you have more stability because what you have always believed fails, falls apart. You start to tr look to God and you start to trust in God more. Let me just give us a, a few of preconceptions that happen when we work with God. Um, the first preconception that we have is that we have this image of a beautiful Jesus. And we sing beautiful Jesus. Oh, gentle Jesus. He never says the wrong word. He's just a Jesus that we love. And while that some of it is true, it's actually half-truths. If growing up, the way most people grow up, the way you are told, if you become born again, all your troubles will be resolved, it's actually a lie. It's a deception, much like the devil did with Eve in the Garden of Eden, or twisting the word of God. And Paul says something that is interesting. He says, I would not in any way twist the word of God to make people obedient unto the faith. I won't make it comfortable for people to hear the word of God to turn to faith. I know many of the things we do, we've done a lot of leadership seminar, how to make a speech. So there's a whole lot of conditioning the word of God to fit the audience. That is motivational preaching, really. Because the word of God is quick and sharp. And the people that started this word of God had no training. They were fishermen, smelling fishermen. But they declared the truth of the word of God and it beats the doctors. It's beat the professors, pierced into the marrows of, the, of, of spirit and bones and separated it all. So this concept of a, of a barney Jesus that is always smiling, is not always true. Those are the preconceptions we go through in life before we have trouble. There's also the easy street. Oh, good. It's like we think Jesus lives on easy streets. Jesus is existing to fulfill Bancole's demands, to make Bankole wear the latest designers to make him own his own business, to make him ride a good car, to make him move to the UK. No, 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 that's not Jesus. That is not Jesus. That's a doddle. That's a creation of the human, human, human race. We've humanized God, and God cannot be humanized. God himself came as a human, but God essentially is not human, He's a spirit. And we cannot condition God into what we fit and say easy streets. Lead our children on easy streets where everything is taken care of. Jesus just exists to fit my bill, to, to pay my bills, to make me comfortable, to make me look good, to give me a reputation. That's not Jesus. 
Then there's also the concept of by and by, and he mentioned a whole lot about intentional parenting. The by and by Jesus that we know before we get into trouble or before we start our work with God is the one that just thinks, oh, by and by, everything is going to be okay. I did it doesn't really matter. I'm so mindless of my of, of my decisions. Things just happen, it's by chance, everything happens by chance. That's not true. Another very big lie that I've seen around also is inclusivity. There's a concept that Jesus is for everybody, every, and indeed Jesus is for everybody. But we had this discussion recently about when Jesus gave a parable, so he said, please go ahead, go and invite special people, let them come over, let them come for my party. And when they came in, what happened? No, none of them came in, if you remember the scriptures. In fact, they gave excuses. I, I just married a wife, I'm traveling, I have a new business, I bought a new farm, I need to go see it. And Jesus said, go ahead and invite everybody on the streets. And he invited everybody on the streets. So, interestingly, that means that everything is inclusive. Inclusive of all manner of ideologies, all manner of tribes and, re- and culture and religion. And then we brought it in. But then there was a man that was, undre- that was not properly dressed right there. And the master of the, 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 the party convener said, young man, why are you not properly dressed? Uh, uh, he said, take him out. The reality is that the call God has given us is not for everyone. It's, it's not that inclusive. It is actually exclusive. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. He said, remember, brethren, your calling. You were called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. You were called out from a people. You, were, you who were once not a people have been called in to be God's people. Another thing, and I'm going to touch on the opposite of that quickly. I'm just going to run through it. Another thought about it is fame. Uh, we think God exists for us to become famous. We think God exists so that we become magnificent. That's not true. Eve believed that lie because that's what the devil said to Jesus. He said, God knows that the day you eat of this fruit, you will be self-important. You will, you will become like God yourself. But you were never meant to be like God yourself. Then the last one I want to touch is independence. And I'm going to flip it over. One of the things we... I, I, I walked into Christianity with... I, was, I walked with a chip on my shoulder. Not because I was anything. But because I felt I was smart. And I, I, I became a Christian and I started thinking... I, I don't want to be like this guys that... These guys are kind of spooky. I don't want to be... I don't want all this spirit, spirit, spirit stuff. I just want to be me. I want to be intellectual. I want to be independent. Oh God, just at arm's length. I don't want to get into all this stuff. And many of us start that way. But the intention of God is never to have us that way. God is going to take over everything in your life to the point where all your existence you live by him. Such that in him you live, in him you move, and you have your being. And the mature Christian is not the one that is independent of God. It's actually the one that is totally dependent of God. The Bible says clearly, it says a broken spirit, the Lord will in no way ignore. It's not an independent spirit. The Bible says God resists the proud. Now the proud is not the man that we, we all talk about out there. The proud is the person inside of you that thinks he can get independent of God. The proud is the one that wants to have so much money that he never needs to pray to God anymore. The proud is the one who wants to get into a place where he is good all by himself, sufficient in himself. And the trouble that came to Paul was different. He said, we learned not how to trust in ourselves. One of the lies I think that's perpetuated 
a whole lot within Christianity is this thought of believing yourself. It sounds harmless. It sounds, but it's motivational preaching. It's our truth. The Bible never told you to believe in yourself. The Bible says trust in God. Because there are troubles that will come to you that believing in yourself will never be able to handle. In fact, there's a limit to yourself. Yourself is a corrupt person that is trying to, that, that needs to be turned over to God. It is so, so, so insufficient. It is a lie to believe that you are sufficient in yourself. You're not. You're never going to be. God never wants you to get there. It's a dangerous place to be. So, what, do we, what, what does the fire and the troubles that come to us reveal? The first thing it does is, it shows us an unattractive Jesus. Believe me, for the unsaved mind, which all of us were, Jesus is not very attractive. That, that looks like, I, I can almost hear a pin drop. But it is true. If your mind is really unsaved, the Bible says the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to them that are perishing. So this Jesus, and I'm going to get to that. I'm just conclude with that. That's the concept. Jesus looked at when he said Paul, he said, I'm going to show you things you have to suffer for my sake. So it's not a call to enjoyment. It's actually a call to a task. The next one is that there's a narrow road. You know, oftentimes I hear and I'm, I'm like, is this the, really the Jesus that is in the Bible? Because sometimes you look in the Bible, then you look around you and say, this Jesus that has been preached doesn't look like the one in the Bible. One of the things that, that led to the Reformation was some people got a hold of the Bible. Because that time, it was only preachers that, it was a Roman Catholic rule. It was only preachers that preached the word of God. So they only knew what the preacher told them. But some people got a hold of the word of God. And when they started reading it, they looked at the Pope, they looked at the preachers around them and said, this doesn't look like Jesus. In fact, this is opposite to the Jesus in the Bible. And then people started questioning stuff and then that's what led to protest the Protestants that we have today. But Jesus was saying, he said, narrow is the road that leads to life. Narrow and difficult. And my intention is not to preach a difficult message today. It's just to preach the real Jesus because I found him on my journey. And I'm still finding him on my journey. So it says, narrow and difficult is the way that leads to life, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many working it. But narrow and difficult is the way, but very few working it. That tells you how very exclusive this call is. Um, there's an intentionality to it. I'm going to turn, and then I talked about exclusivity. Actually, Christians, we are exclusive people. We are not like the rest of the world. And Paul tried to tell us in many ways and said, look, you are a different setup. Even Jesus said it. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are, you are the salt of the earth. You are not the majority. You are never going to be the majority. You're always going to be the minority. Does that sound like it? I know all of us say, oh, the intention of God is to save the world. But look, those who are called to God are never going to be in the majority. And if you, if you follow the events of the world, as the social changes that we're facing, it's bringing to question what we believe, what we've always believed. Are we, are we in the majority? Are we going to expand or dilute the word of God to accommodate the social trends? Or are we going to use the force that is inherent in the word of God to pierce what the society is trying to throw at us? Last one, okay, I said actually working with Jesus also lists, in a way, it starts with obscurity. It's Jesus that pushes us out. We don't announce ourselves. And when even you have been announced, there's a caution to it for yourself because you know that your sufficiency is in God. It's not in the amount of applause you get. It's not how many stages you climb. It's not how many, how many fora you attend. 
It has to do with the time you spend with Jesus. Jesus made it clear. He said, he, God that sees in secret will reward you openly. If we discover Jesus, we'll realize that staying with Jesus requires some form of obscurity. Then the last one is total dependence on God. What I found out is I've, I've learned to shed my sense of independence from God. And my mind is so bad that it's always trying to get independent of God. You know, I realized that so many of the career goals I laid out was to put myself in a place where I didn't need God really, really that much. Where I didn't pray to God about my daily experience. Where I was, well, my children are well behaved. I don't need to pray to God. I've got money in the bank. I don't need to touch God. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm good by myself. I'm branded well. I work in a multinational. I run my business. What more? But that's a terrible place to be. It's a deception of the enemy. The Bible says that the, the deception of riches choked the world and made it unprofitable to them. If you are here today and it's been your life goal, you're just like me. We are many here. But God does not intend us to become independent of him. That's why the setting in the Garden of Eden was such that he walked with them in the cool of the day. Our relationship is supposed to grow more and more with Jesus. Do you have a friend, a spouse? Do you realize how much more dependent people become? I can speak for friends that are brothers. The more you spend time together, the more dependent you are on each other. You don't become independent. So that's where God wants us to be. Trouble is to make us understand. And, uh, and, and, and Paul had this experience. Trouble was to bring him to a place where his focus and his dependence was not on what he knew, was not in the nationality he was of, was not in the, uh, in the places he could attend, was in God. This type of trouble, some people, in, in, in a more developed world, in the Western world as you have it today, people are very independent of God. And the independence of God, independence from God, leads to a porous life. That's why a young 18-year-old boy will fail to graduate, pick up a gun, and go shoot children. Away from the politics of guns or whatever it is, it is the absolute lack of meaning that makes children join gangs to, move, to prove to themselves that there's something. And where there's no trouble, where there's no fight, life becomes useless. In the book of Judges, after the children of Israel had walked into the promised land, the Bible said God retained a group of people. The Amalekites or whatever, I can't remember the name. He said this tribe, the Etites. He said God retained them so that they would trouble the children of Israel who had not known war. Because if they don't know war, they go, they're going to be walking on easy streets. The worst thing that can happen to your child is to become, oh, they used to say that um, there used to be bulldozer parents in the 90s who cleared every huddle in front of their children. It's worse now. We have helicopter parents. I mean, a nine-year-old cannot walk around the block anymore. He has a tracker on him. He has a tracker. And some of them even have cameras that are following them. The children become very useless to themselves because they are so overprotected. All the orders have been removed. They get something they want. Daddy, I want PS5. He gets it. Daddy, I want this. We're traveling to Florida. It's like everything is a given. That there's no meaning to their life. Especially if it's a boy. 
especially if it's a boy. Boys are made for trouble. Hey, boys are made for trouble. They are made to overcome circumstances in life, and, and, and those are the things that give them meaning. In fact, study shows that the happiest people are not the people that had no trouble. The happiest people are people that overcome trouble. Because it gives you sense that God who delivered me then is able to deliver me now. So when I go into trouble, I'm not going because I'm smart. I know this trouble is overwhelming, but I know the God whom I serve is able to deliver me. He delivered me then. He delivered me yesterday. He can deliver me today. This is the confidence I have in him. That God who took me from nowhere is able to take me all the way. That's what David had that was different from Saul. He knew God. God had, had given him so much trouble. He said, you who have shown me so much trouble. Do you know that's what David said? He said, you who, in Psalm 71, he said, you who have shown me so much trouble, you will deliver me again. Friends, if you're in a place where trouble is assailing you, it's a time to find Jesus. It's a time for the preconceptions that you had about Jesus to be removed. For you to see as clear as the day, the God with whom we have to deal. Who is bigger than we can imagine? Who can only be revealed? It cannot be cropped up. It cannot be painted. What we do is we paint a Jesus and we bow to that Jesus. But Jesus can only be revealed in the word of God and through trials true times of waiting when nothing makes sense but you've got to wait and i've waited friends i've waited i've waited a long time i remember when i moved four years ago i had a perfect job i had a perfect boss life was as good as it was i had all the form of training i could have travel here, stay in five-star hotels was, was becoming a thing for me. And I look back, oh, this was even better than I could imagine as a teenager. But then, then I moved to the U.S. And here I was, I thought I had the very best of qualifications. The more I tried, the more I failed. I made connections. The more I connected with people, the more I failed. And there and then, I realized that, look, all this motivational stuff has its limitation. The reality can only be found in the timing of God. But I also decided, I said, God, I'm going to do this your way. No matter how long it takes, I'm going to kneel down and I'm going to face you. My, I'm, I'm blinded to everything else the world has to offer. You, oh God, are enough for me. I'm going to be satisfied in your presence. Whether you do it, it doesn't matter. I am satisfied in who you are. I'm satisfied in what you've done in time past. And I'm going to keep believing. No matter what happens, I'm going to keep believing that you were a good God. And I found Jesus. I found Jesus all over again. In the midst of waiting, in the midst of trouble, I found Jesus. Eventually, the things I wanted, I got things better than I wanted, but I didn't advocate for them. Those things found me. The scripture is true. God can be banged on. God can be banged on. Those things found me. And the more I look at it, I have, I, I'm less anxious about life right now. Because I know no matter what troubles come, the Lord God who delivered me, when I went from somebody that could pay rent in advance to somebody that was living by hand to mouth, that God that was there in the midst of that trouble is able to take me all the way. He's able to take me all the way. 
Yeah. So I will end with this in the next five minutes. You know, one of the things that I... Um, please let me put up this first picture. You know, I can tell you that I went into... I became a Christian with this. How many of us have this picture of Jesus? Maybe you have it in your house. If you're a Roman Catholic, you probably have something like this. This is the most popular image of Jesus that the world has. You see, pointed, no very handsome looking guy. Looks like somebody you want to worship, really. But this is a fake image of Jesus. Jesus looked nothing like this. Because this person is, Euro, is, is European. Jesus was none of those. This person is well-toned. See the face, well-crafted. But Jesus looks nothing like this. So if you've ever worshipped Jesus like this, and it's figurative, I'm not, taking, I'm not talking literally, this is not real Jesus. I went into it thinking this was Jesus. In everything, Jesus was the handsome guy I wanted to be around. You could hang out with this guy. You could have dinner with him. How many of you agree? How many of you want to have dinner with this kind of guy? He's your body, body, body. This is good. But if you check the people that existed in Jesus' time, if you, they check the uh, archaeologists dug out people that lived around then, Jesus, when you look at the scriptures, will look more like this. Help me with that picture. How many of you want to date that guy? How many of us want to hang out with this guy? Guys, this is the reality of what we have to deal with. In fact, the Bible says in, Psalm 50, in Isaiah 54, it says he has no beauty that we should desire him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. See, when people wanted, that's why the Bible says, brethren, you see your calling. Not many great men were called. Not many of noble births were, were called. But God called the foolish things, the people that were not people, of which I am chief. Someone that shouldn't even be talking. Someone that had no reputation, not born into a family that was wealthy or anything. But that's the kind of people Jesus called and transformed them. See, when we read the scripture, we realize that we probably believe the lie from what, from what third parties have told us. By the time you start to dig into scriptures and you face troubles, you find the real Jesus. It looked nothing like somebody everybody wanted to follow. That's why it was his words that attracted people. It was the demonstration of the God's spirit and power in him that drew a crowd. It wasn't his good looks. It wasn't his good looks. So, when we discover Jesus, and this is what we discover. This is the most probable picture of Jesus. But the picture has nothing to do with, with what we are saying. I'm just trying to say how we go into life with a preconception and how when we go with God, we find something on the other side. You know, we don't want trouble, but life is on the other side of pain. Joy is on the other side of pain. Life is on the other side of death. Amen. That's why Jesus said a woman is in labor after she's in labor. And the Bible says, when you would have pain in this world, but be not, don't be discouraged. I've overcome the world. I also wanted to show you something. You know, uh, next picture is, uh, go for it. You know, typically this is a picture of an angel. Cute uh, angel that we all know. Many of us say, this are, that's an angel. There's no way in the scripture an angel look like this. The more you read about Daniel's revelations, and you know, I went... One of the best things that happened to me this year is I joined the Bible study of men. Guess what the average age of those men is? 71. <laughs> Old men that have come to know Jesus. So I'm one of the youngest and the youngest of people there. But I, I get to live life 
with the benefits of hindsight from them wisdom of god none of them talk about how fantastic their careers are none of them are talking about how you should make the next promotion it is not important in their discussion in fact when you say it when you raise a prayer like that they tell you to calm down and say no no don't don't, don't even think about that it doesn't matter in the long run and i'm like oh 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 this man say to you it doesn't matter and these guys some of them have been hemdies of companies and say don't, don't don't bother about that don't 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 snuff out the life of God in you by being bothered about what's not. He said, about that, that's, what, that's a what not. So this is a picture of an angel that we all have a conception of because we read what the world throws at us. But by the time you read Ezekiel, this is a picture of an angel. It's scary. In fact, we were reading Daniel and every time Daniel saw an angel of God, he fell down as though he was dead. It was something not what you wanted. If you, some of us want to see an angel, right? You have no clue. <laughs> you have no clue because if he comes, you will be paralyzed. A scary, scary image. Then when you go to Daniel, that's the image of an angel that he saw. Has nothing to do with this cutie angel wing wearing, wing wearing artifact. This is a relic. The reality is this. The reality is this. So, in conclusion, this is what I'm saying. If you want to work with God, be ready for the unexpected. Be ready to be challenged. Be ready to cast away the beliefs you've had. Maybe born out of culture, born out of lies you've told yourself or you believed. And be ready to embrace the authentic Jesus. That Jesus can only be revealed. He cannot be painted. You are not to create your own God and worship him. You can't paint him. That scripture is going to, the scripture is going to show you sides of Jesus you are comfortable with and sides you are highly uncomfortable with. But the more you bow to it, the more you realize that this is God and is God by himself and is worth banking on in trials, in troubles, is right there by your side, is transforming you every day, making you less anxious, making you trust anymore, believing what is necessary and not believing the lie that you've told yourself. That's how you find Jesus. We find Jesus in our journey. I found Jesus. I'm still finding him. And I'm putting aside the lies I've always believed. I'm, I'm putting away the motivations, my wrong motivations for following Jesus. And embracing the authentic Jesus. I'm saying, come hell or high waters. Let the words crumble. I'm going to trust in God. The Psalm 40 said, even though the head be moved and be thrown into the sea, we will trust in the name of our Lord. The Lord God is worth banking on. It, whenever you check it, just look at it scientifically. We are a dot in the universe. We're a dot. Imagine that God that lives that governs the whole universe. He's a scary God. So when you read the scripture, I, I know many of us have tried to humanize and try to turn it into contemporary Jesus. When I say fearing God means he's not really fearing God. That was a Bible study a friend of mine was at where the young people were saying, you know, fearing God does not really mean fearing God. It means loving him and just being comfortable around him. But when they read the scripture, they said, fearing God actually means fearing God. Because this God we have to do is bigger than us is bigger than what we have painted it can only be revealed by the word of god when the bible says that jesus god was revealing himself to the people in the in, in of israel they had to cry and say stop revealing yourself we want to hear from moses because it's a scary thing it's a scary being so friends i want to leave you tonight with this or this morning with this that 
Jesus, the work with Jesus will reveal some things that you're uncomfortable with. And I'm getting uncomfortable many, many times. But I'm learning the, to, to submit myself to Jesus. The real Jesus. Not another Jesus that was preached by another person. I'm finding him in scripture. I'm finding him through trials, through troubles. And I'm telling you, I'm recommending to you that it's, a what, it's worth banking on. Come what may. I can't promise you tomorrow is going to be rosy. I can't promise you anything like that. But what I can promise you is that when you go through trials and you stay with the word of God, you are going to find him. You may not find a job, but you will find Jesus. You may not find a wife, but you will find Jesus. You may not find a husband, but you're going to find Jesus. And that Jesus is, is, is sufficient in itself to satisfy you. That God is sufficient. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you because you're not a God we can paint. You're bigger than our imagination. You're bigger than a group of government. You're bigger than a group of companies. You're bigger than our fleeting desires. And you're worth banking on. You have shown us troubles and many of us are facing ridiculous troubles. But we are comforted with this that you who kept us in time past, who is keeping us even now from losing our minds? You're able to keep us until the very end. I pray for my, 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 my brethren here, God, that they will find you in their daily lives. Find you in the midst of fires, in the midst of troubles. They will find you at all times. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Thank you, guys.